Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. I really, uh, Pastor James and I have been talking, we really have been enjoying this uh, journey through the book of Acts. And I don't, maybe you're just telling us what we want to hear, but as we've talked to some of you, it seems like you're finding it really beneficial and relevant as well. So praise God. I think that will uh, continue to be the case today in our passage. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Acts, if you're not there yet, we'll be in chapter 14. And as usual, we'll get there here in just a little bit. But before we get there, um, I want to show you something that um, I think will help show the relevance of our passage today. In 2017, Pew Research Center conducted a study that they call religious typology. And they did so in order to uh, better get a better grasp on the spirituality of Americans. Now, traditionally, in, in studies like this, people ask questions like, well, what religion are you? And people respond, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Christian, or I'm an atheist, or I'm spiritual but not religious, things like that is how people respond to the question, what religion are you? So what they found with these researchers, uh, what these researchers found was that labels like that don't really describe where people really are spiritually, okay? And so they thought, okay, we can ask those questions, but we also want to ask about people's actual beliefs and whether and how those actual beliefs line up with the label that they self-identify with. You follow what I'm saying? So they thought that would be more helpful. And when I took a look at this, um, they found that all people, hear me, all people except for the most atheistic people hold at least one New Age belief. Even those who self-identify as Christians and who profess to believe in the God of the Bible hold also at least one New Age belief. And the definition is coming up on the screen. By New Age, here's what I mean. You have that uh, definition, Joanna? Uh, Joanna. Georgiana? Um, By New Age, I mean the rebranding of Eastern religions and philosophy in new Westernized packaging. Right? If you're a note taker, you may want to write that down. The rebranding of Eastern religions and philosophy in new Westernized, usually American, packaging. And those of you, some of you may know that even here in Asheville, even though the label of New Age isn't used very often, um, it's a worldview that is very prominent here in Asheville. And even uh, in the broader culture, if you look underneath sort of the veneer of culture, you would know that these New Age belief systems are actually quietly the fastest growing and predominant uh, spiritual religion or spirituality in the country and even the world. So take a look at these statistics. Um, I can't, I can't see them, but maybe you can see them. Uh, if you can't, I will describe them to you from memory the best I can. Um, again, they said that all adults hold at least one New Age belief. Sorry, Scott, I'm going out of frame, but you're a pro. Thanks, Scott. Um, that's 62 percent of all adults believe in at least one. The majority believe in at least one. Now, take a look at the next slide. You'll see just below that, that Christians, 
61% of Christians also hold one New Age belief. That is statistically not different than the broader culture, is it? Well, let's go down another slide. Evangelicals, that is people who believe the Bible is the word of God. It is the ultimate authority in all matters of belief and life practice. It is what reach life would most closely identify with. Um, Evangelicals are almost, see it, almost at 50%, 47% of evangelicals. That means, statistically speaking, almost half of us in this room are watching online or listening online hold also at least one New Age belief. Now, there are tons of New Age beliefs, but people at the Pew Research Center asked these people about these specific things. New Age beliefs like um, that spiritual energy can be located in physical things, that psychics and mediums and things like that are real and reliable. They would believe in reincarnation or believe in astrology, that is, that like your horoscope or that the alignment of the planet somehow determine your personality and daily fortune and destiny, those, those sorts of things. So just to, out of those specific questions, we got 62%, 61% of Christians, 47% of evangelicals. Interesting. Now, the reason I point all that out is because in our text today, we're going to read of people in the ancient city of Lystra who were worshiping the, the uh, gods of the Greek pantheon. We call these this, this Greek mythology because you might think, because nobody worships those gods anymore. Um, they were namely worshiping Zeus and Hermes. And again, you may think, well, nobody worships those gods anymore, so why are we studying this? But while people may not worship those particular gods... Zeus and Hermes, people in our day, even among us, do worship either false gods or have false ideas about the real God. And what we'll see in our text, and as we talk about ourselves today, all false ideas, if you're not taking, you may want to write this down. It's not coming up on the screen. All false ideas about God turn away from God, the Creator, and instead worship some part of what he's made, the creation, right? They turn away from the creator God and worship some part or mix in worship of some part of the creation that he has made. In other words, they worship the creation rather than the creator. That's why I've titled the time, our time together today, Creation or Creator. Uh, so let's pick up in our text now. We're going to be focusing, again, Acts chapter 14. Most of our time will be down in verses 8 to 18, but I want to take a look at the introductory verses just to set the stage for us. So let's begin in verse 1, Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, 
and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So here we see at the beginning a very familiar pattern, right? We see the apostles sharing the good news that Jesus has provided the way for us to have our sins forgiven. Jesus, God the Son, has provided the way for us to be reconciled with God the Father, the Creator. We call that the gospel. It literally means good news. And there we see that some people, definitely the religious leaders and the political rulers, persecute the apostles specifically for preaching that message and sharing the good news. And not only persecuting them, but looking to stone them, to have them killed. So the apostles uh, flee in neighboring cities or two neighboring cities and provinces, and they continue to preach the gospel undeterred, right? That's been the pattern we've seen throughout the book of Acts. Now, that's the setting. Let's pick up in verses 8 through 18, where we'll spend most of our time. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand up, or stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, that's lamenting, and rushed out into the crowd crying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring you Good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. And we'll stop there for now. As I said at the beginning, we see people worshiping the ancient Greek gods of sort of the pantheon there, and even thinking that Paul and Barnabas were those gods. And so they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. Now, again, you might think to yourself, how in the world can grown people come to a place where they believe in false gods, let alone even worship other human beings as gods? That might seem really strange to you. Well, if you're taking notes, the reason they can do these things is because they have a false worldview, a false view of the world and reality. And false worldviews lead to false worship. False worldviews lead to false worship. It was what these people believed that led them to false worship. Take note of that. One of my favorite Christian authors says, intent is prior to content. In other words, our thoughts precede and determine our actions. Jesus put it another way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's what we see playing out here. So how do we in Asheville in 2020 relate to this? What's going on in this ancient city of Lystra with these people worshiping human beings as God? Do we or can we worship human beings? Sadly, yes. 
Yes, we can. And sadly, yes, we often do. People do, at least in effect, worship human beings still today. Now, I want to be really sensitive here. We're going to tread into some tricky water here, family. So um, I hope you guys know me well enough that I'll be speaking in, in love here and that I'm also compelled by that love to share truth in, in these particular areas that we're going to talk about. Because um, I know when we talk about personal spiritual beliefs, particularly about these things, um, they, it, they're close to the heart, so it can get a little, a little dicey. But I want, us to, I want to be sensitive, but I also want to speak truthfully and have you think objectively about these things. So hear, hear me closely what I'm going to say. And again, if you're a note taker, you may want to write this down. I don't think it's on the screen either. People worship human beings today by putting those human beings in places only Yahweh God should be. I'll say it again. People worship human beings today by putting human beings in places only Yahweh God should be. Super important to realize. So for example, many people today look to gurus, even if they wouldn't use that term guru, and they look to guides or other people as their conduit to the spiritual realm or um, their connection to the spiritual world or their guide to ultimate truth. And the Bible teaches that there's only one mediator between God and man, that is the God-man, Christ Jesus, right? The Bible's very clear about that. Another way that we can put human beings in places that only Yahweh God should be is that many people... Uh, particularly here in Asheville in our day, actually pray to their ancestors or seek to speak to loved ones who have passed, and they ask their ancestors or their their dead loved ones uh, for intervention in their lives or guidance and, and things like that. And I know that's a very sensitive subject, but that's actually a place where only Yahweh God belongs, to be our intermediary and our and our intervener. And Scripture, again, tells us there's only one mediator. That's, and he tells, the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit of God himself is our comfort and our guide. And actually, the Scripture is very clear that we should not seek to talk to the dead. It actually forbids that. So human beings are not gods. They don't become gods. They don't become angels. And we aren't to worship human beings or angels, uh, for, for that matter. Uh, but we can sometimes, at least in effect, see people um, as godlike or angelic uh, because we have mistaken ideas about who God is and oftentimes about what people are. So here in Lystra, people are trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, mere human beings, as gods because they had wrong concepts about God already in their minds. It was what they thought that led to how they worshipped. Um, they had developed a religion of many gods. That's why they call it the Greek pantheon. Right? They had developed many gods. Who, and these gods were very much, in many ways, like the people themselves. Right? That's, that's how this thing works. When we make false gods, they tend to look a lot like us, just have more power. Right? But they, we tend to uh, create false gods in our own minds and then worship what we have created rather than worship the God who has made us in His image. We create false images and worship that. Uh, so their false worldview leads to false worship. They looked at part of the creation, other men, right, whom the real God had made, and they worshiped those 
men. Paul stops them, though, doesn't he, <laughs> right? Paul seeks to correct their mistaken worldview. And again, this can be tricky. We're just talking about spiritual beliefs that are close to our hearts. Um, so when we try to help one another correct our thinking, it can get a little, a little dicey. But Paul steps in, look at it again in verse 15. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news, he says, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He said, Paul says, this is great news. This is fantastic. You don't have to worship false uh, divinities. You don't have to worship other human beings. You really can worship the real and true God who is really there. You don't have to worship falsely. Man, that's, that's really great news. He points them, listen, there, there's a real God. He, he's the creator. You know, you're looking to the, the God of this and the God of that and parts of the creation and worshiping parts of the creation. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you about the God who made all those things. He's the real God. He's the one and he's living. He made, it's not about the gods of the earth and the gods of nature and the gods of the sea. No, no, no. The real God made the earth and the sea and everything that's in it. He made other human beings. He made you. Now, this is Paul's message to them. God is the creator, and he's provided you with these good things, the earth and the sea, for, for your benefit, Paul says. He says um, you're, he's given you gladness in your heart. He's given you rains and sunshine and, and seasons. The idea of worship and the creation are parts of it. I want to tell you this morning isn't just something that took place 2,000 years ago. We sadly see this in our day all around us. I want you to wake up. If you're a Christian and you live in Asheville, realize this is the culture that you live in. This is where we are. Many people look to the creation, what God has made, rather than the creator. And they, but they might call the creation something like uh, their earth mother or mother earth or nature with a capital N or the universe or spiritual energy or something like that, and they look to those things and see them as ultimate and as the ultimate source of blessing and therefore worthy of worship. Right? That's where we are. And this is all worshiping the creation rather than the creator. It'd be people in our classes maybe, people at our workplaces, people in our social uh, circles. Maybe people in our homes are inclined to earth-based worship. And as the Pew Research showed that we saw at the beginning, this is even the case with many Christians, perhaps even Christians among us. Statistically speaking, 47% just uh, believe just one of those four questions asked about the New Age. And the New Age is all about earth kinds of worship. Kelly and I uh, watched this survival show called Alone. Anybody watch that? Super good. Um, you should check it out. It's really good. But anyway, these people are, are, are dumped off in the wilderness, and they have to survive off the land, and they compete. And if, if you don't die, you win. You know, essentially, like, whoever, whoever lasts the longest wins. And, and as we were watching this thing, man, um, we saw people who are really grateful for provision of uh, wildlife that would come by that they could eat or for... for uh, um, plant life that they could find and eat, or for, for good weather, or they would look at a picture of their family and be really grateful for their family. But we, we realized that they didn't realize that they had someone to be grateful to for those things. It was a real vacuum. So 
they would do things like pray to their food rather than for their food. They would go, you know, thank you, rabbit, for giving your life that I could eat today. Not a joke. That's real and true. And depending on what circles you hang out with here in Asheville, you'll see it too. I've sat at tables with people who do the very same thing. They would speak to the wilderness around them and as if it were a person and seek to have fellowship with the wilderness around them. It was, it was incredibly sad to watch. Um, and more commonly, you may see, you may not have seen that like I have, but more commonly, you'll see people pray to the universe or some sort of undefined energy out there, uh, giving thanks to that man. I, I, I give thanks to the universe that, or asking the universe to bring things into their life. You know, they put positive vibes out into the universe and expect the universe to bring positive vibes or positive things back into their lives. And what they're seeking is a relationship with something that's bigger than themselves. They know that they cannot provide certain things for themselves, and they look to something bigger to provide for those things. And because they've um, rejected the God who's really there, or don't know the God who's really there maybe, the, the biggest thing they can think of is the universe. And so they, they ask the universe for those things. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. No, these things are from the real and living God. The universe is from God. The universe is not God. God is the creator of those very good things. He's made the universe and all that's in it. He's given you life and breath and everything, and that's his blessing to you. He has left a witness about himself to you in those things. So when we forget or don't know the real God, we have to turn to some part of his creation. As the, that's the only thing left. Because there's only two categories of reality. You guys realize this? There's God, and then there's everything else including us, right? So if we don't worship the real God who's actually there, Francis Schaeffer calls it being shut off to him. When we don't recognize him, we're, we're shut off and we're like in this black box of the universe below God groping about for something to worship. And that's where we are. So we either intentionally or in effect, or in effect worship the universe or earth energy or you know something like that is what we put our hope in. Um, or we worship other human beings, such as our ancestors, uh, by praying to them and asking them for guidance and intervention in our life. Those are places where only Yahweh God belongs to be, and that's why I would liken it to worship. And catch this, sometimes, sometimes we even either intentionally or, in effect, worship ourselves. It doesn't have to be other people. We can sometimes worship ourselves. So, for example, like if we think it's merely the work of our hard hand, of the hard work of our own hands that has brought about this this prosperity in our lives. You know, I have my I'm a self-made man or woman, and I have myself to thank for my my good decisions and my hard work for all these blessings in my life. I worked hard for this. I earned this. You may work hard for it. And I hope you did. I hope you should. But you, we need to recognize that our blessings ultimately come from the Lord. Our ultimate gratitude and our ultimate thanks are places that only Yahweh God should occupy, right? And when we put ourselves in that place or other people in that place or an organization in that place or a political uh, regime in that place, whatever, it, it's leaning toward worship, worshiping part of the creation rather than the creator. So we begin to ascribe divine characteristics to those things um, because we've got the, God actually put this idea 
of worship in us. We're built for that. So when we see things that are awesome, if we don't have a clear picture of who God is and, and what we are, we tend to worship those things. So we've taken the good affections that God's given us, geared to point, him, point us toward Him, and we've directed them in the wrong direction. Yet praise God, verses 14 through 17 exist. Uh, praise, praise the real God. The real and true worship is actually possible. We don't have to be locked in this dark box groping about for something to worship. No, the real, living, loving God is actually there. And, and praise God, He's not been silent. He's actually spoken to us. He's revealed Himself to us. He's not an impersonal force. He's a real being with personhood and a personality that you can legit know. That's great news. You may not have realized it before, but He, God, is actually what you've been seeking all along when turning to those things. He is what your heart truly longs for. And in those verses, Paul says, man, He's done good by you. This is the loving God, the Creator who made you and wants you to know Him. Um, Again, people have false ideas about God, false ideas about who they are and who people are, and it leads to false worship. You know, maybe, church, let's be real, maybe they have false ideas about who God is and about who they are because they have bad experience with Christians or the church or they grew up in a spiritually abusive environment. And they think that's what God's like. If that's the Christian God, I don't want any part of that. Paul's saying in these verses, no, 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 no. The real God is altogether good. He's left you evidence of that. Go out and feel the sunshine. You breathing right now? That's from God. Are you alive right now? That's from God. The real God is good, and he loves you. Um, and, and I would say, that evidence that you're sitting here listening to this message today where Paul is talking about, no, the real God is there. He loves you. He has a blessing for you. You don't have to turn to things that aren't real. You don't have to hold humanity and other human beings or even yourself up to the standard of divinity. No, there's a real God, and you can know Him. The fact that you're hearing these things today is evidence of His love for you. (laughs) It's evidence that He is still extending grace to you. That's, That's the real God. So, Real, true worship of the real God really is possible. Let's continue, though, in our text and see what happens in light of real worship. Verse 9. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, pause. Who are the crowds? These are the people that were just worshiping Paul and Barnabas as gods. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. The next thing in your notes, real and true worship will come at a price. Will come at a price. Remember, 
this persecution was by the people that were just worshiping them. They had falsely tried to worship Paul and Barnabas, and then people comes in and come in and tell them otherwise, and now they're stoning Paul, leaving him for dead. So just a note, let's not be surprised. If those who once thought too highly of you, when you go to follow Jesus, somehow now think so lowly of you that they'll persecute you and consider you their enemy. If these people were legit on their knees worshiping Paul and Barnabas and are now stoning Paul, is it not reasonable to think that people who maybe, man, they thought we were pretty fantastic before we got all Jesus-y. Isn't it realistic to think that they could see you as, an, as like opposed to them now? Anybody ever experienced that first time besides me? For sure. For sure. So the scripture, again, speaks to our day, and we shouldn't be surprised. Um, and, and I'll tell you, man, honestly, leaving false worship behind not only can lead to conflict out there, but it can lead to conflict in here. And here's what I mean. One of the hardest things for human beings to do including me, is to admit that I was wrong. Anybody else have a problem with that? If you don't nod, you're lying. And we go going to talk about something else. Talk about lying, right? We all have a hard time, particularly in certain situations, particularly with things that really matter. And if we've been vocal about them, if we've put our false worship out there as true, we've maybe believed a false doctrine about God or humanity, it can be really hard to admit that we were wrong. Sometimes, man, that pride thing is a barrier that even if something is gnawing in our gut and we're like, you know what, I've, I had that wrong. I kind of see that, but I won't let myself see that because I'll now have to admit that I was wrong. And I'll have to admit that to myself. So let's talk about what's really, really there. That struggle that's on the inside can sometimes be even more tough. Because you're going to have to come to embrace or fully, more fully embrace the truth claims of the gospel, right? And that can be difficult when it's at odds with what you believed or what you posted on Facebook or the bumper stickers you have on your car. Those things can be a real barrier. They really can. So there is a cost, even personally. Um, but I want you to hear me um, gently and openly. It often comes down to if the truth about God and yourself is important enough to you to have you actually submit to the truth or not. Sometimes it comes down to that. So let's end uh, with a look at the last verse in our passage for today, verse 23. So what is it that Paul and Barnabas ultimately do in this situation? What was their word to the people and what would the Lord say is our main takeaway for today? Verse 23 is very simple. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the last thing in your notes is since Jesus is really God, believe in him, be committed to him. Jesus is the real God who came to earth to live as a man so that you could see God, so that you could know your creator. Um, you may have wavered and been persuaded uh, by counter-evangelists in the past to reject Jesus. But just like these people in our text today, I'm telling you, there's hope for you. There's grace for you. Like I said, the, the mere fact that you're sitting here hearing the truth about who God is and who we are 
is evidence of God's grace to us. And, and Reach Life Church, in the light of persecution, as we've been talking about through this um, study in Acts, we will be persecuted today, and, I, and my, I'm not a prophet nor the son of one, but my prediction is it's going to get worse. Cling to Jesus. Be committed to the Lord in whom we have believed. Because we could turn away from the Lord, but to quote the Apostle Peter, to what? You're going to turn away from the Lord to, to where? Yourself? Other human beings who are merely men like the rest of us, Paul says? Where would we go but to the Lord? He alone has the words of eternal life. He alone is God, right? Uh, so maybe the most certain and even the most difficult thing to realize is that real true worship in this day and age, just like then, will cost us something. It's going to cost us something. Mainly it's going to cost us the false notion that anything other than the real God can ever satisfy us. It's going to cost us that. For sure. We never say it out loud. I don't think that we put anything before God. But do we in our practice put things before God? Do we have things in our lives that sit only in the place where Yahweh God should be? I think we do. I do. I know at times I do. And praise God, by His grace, through His Holy Spirit, He reveals them to me and says, Terry, that's an idol. That's an idol. I want to remove that from you. Not because I'm mean, but because I love you. You were designed for better. You're being deceived or deceiving yourself. I want to remove that idol for you. But what happens is we will sometimes sacrifice anything for or put our hopes in anything other than putting God, the real God first, steadily, surely, being a disciple, making a disciple. Yet that's where real life is truly found, is it not? The human heart will look to hobbies and work and the pursuit of pleasure, financial stability, wealth accumulation, whatever it is, and see that the, the um, temporary happiness that those things bring us. And we're like, man, I need to sacrifice more and more for that. And we'll put those things in places where only Yahweh God should be. And that is false worship. That is false worship. We can substitute those things as the building blocks of life instead of God's building blocks of being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. All these things, all these false gods will fade away, man. They are a vapor. They cannot fulfill us ultimately because they were never designed. You guys, you guys realize this is God's world that we live in? We live in God's world. And we could try to follow our own rules and invest in these other things, more importantly than God in our life with Him, but they will never satisfy us because God doesn't want them to. <laughs> you may want them to. God doesn't want those things to satisfy you because it's like a kid who eats so much chocolate and sweets that he thinks his stomach is satisfied, but he vomits 10 minutes later with no nutrients. God doesn't want you to be satisfied with, with mud pies, you know? He wants you to feed on Him and His grace to you. And those things surely can't bring you salvation and life with Him forever. Uh, that's for sure. Only God, Yahweh, belongs in those places. So I would, cons I would just urge you in closing to consider turning away from, like Paul says, these vain things. They won't last. They won't sustain you. If God has revealed in your heart and mind, okay, I didn't realize I was holding on to some new age. Like, like I, I would say I believed in the Bible and the God of the Bible, 
But I didn't realize that I was holding in my mind things that disagree with the God of the Bible. That's tough. You may have to admit, I was wrong. You may have to say it in front of some friends. You may have to post something different on Facebook. It's a bit, listen, it's, it's, I'm just real life, isn't it? But, but is the truth about God, is the truth about yourself important enough that you will actually turn away from this, like I said, this closed off black box in the universe below and see the real God who's actually there and, and maybe consider, does he have more for me? Can I really worship him? Can I really experience his love in my life? I, I would just ask you to be honest with yourself today. There's grace for you. That grace for you was purchased by the Lord Jesus on the cross. And Pastor James is going to come and tell us more about that when we talk about the Lord's Supper.